You're listening to the Fresh Takes on Tech podcast, a show from the International Fresh Produce Association. This is a show for people interested in the intersection between technology and the produce and floral industries. Every week, we explore the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the industry. If you are interested in the innovations that create change, this is the place for you. Let's dive in. Hello, I'm Bonnie Estes, your host for Fresh Takes on Tech. What an amazing season we've had this season. I started the season wanting to dig deep into various production methods to help myself and for other people to understand the differences in growing produce and what we actually get as consumers. We've talked to leaders in the field about various methods, regenerative, organic, indoor, with some of the top producers, Bolthouse Farms, Grimway, and Bowery, and we've talked to Walmart about retail and consumer views. I invite the listeners to go back and listen to the previous episodes to hear what they had to say. It was super enlightening to me. I wanted to invite someone to have a conversation about various production methods and what I've learned as a way to try to pull all of this information together for myself and for you, the listeners. I could not think of a better person to have this discussion with than my guest, John Purcell. John has dedicated his life to helping farmers safely and sustainably grow food using less natural resources. He is currently the president and CEO of Unfold Bio, where he is working on helping farm operators and retailers deliver on the promise of vertical farming. Prior to Unfold, John had a long career at Bayer and Monsanto, leading programs to breed and cultivate fruits and vegetables that farmers love to grow and consumers love to eat. John and I have crossed paths multiple times in our careers and have been on many stages together. I consider him one of the strongest voices and supporters of using technology for the improvement of our food system, and he is an advocate for growers of all kinds. So, John, it's great to have you on the show, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Oh, Bonnie, it's great seeing you again. I always enjoy our conversations. And I have had the chance to listen to some of the previous episodes, and they're outstanding. you got some great perspectives. So thank you so much for the invitation today. Yeah, absolutely. So you and I have both been more on the technology and crop input side of the industry um, and working on developing tools and solutions for all types of production methods, kind of technology agnostic. Um, so in thinking about the consumer, what has evolved over your career? In my experience, like 30 years ago, we weren't sitting around conference rooms saying, oh, what does the consumer want? So how have you seen that evolve? I wish we were actually, but yeah. We should have been. It's funny being being part of the, uh, as you were, part of the early days of biotechnology for, you know, for row crops and for field crops. Um, people describe it sometimes as, oh, it seems so arrogant. You guys just wanted to bring this technology out. Um, but I, I think it was actually a lot more naivety. <laughs> a lot of it was we had so much to do to talk to our direct customers, the growers, to talk to um, the chain on, on how this technology might, you know, might, might, might impact uh, how food is produced. Um, and the consumers seemed so far down the path, it was like, you know, it wasn't, the relevance really wasn't there for us, even though it probably should have been. Um, but you fast forward now, uh, 30 plus years, and, and you think through, oh my gosh, how could you have missed that? But consumers today, are there. It's, it's, it's just a different kind of experience when you think about how we talk about food. Um, I always joke, you know, 1% of the population in the U.S. is, is, is busy producing food, 
and the other 99% are putting pictures of food on Instagram, right? Besides kids, right? It's, it's the biggest hit on the internet, right? But, I mean, yeah, yeah. But, but, it's, but people are engaged. People are interested. And, and what, what's interesting about how it's evolved is it's, it's gone beyond sort of the intrinsic quality of, of, that, of that product or that crop, but, you know, uh, you know how much does it cost, or what is you know what is the quality of it, et cetera, um, into much deeper questions. You know, people are asking, um, how was that food produced? Where was it produced? Even who produced that food? And so it, it really compels you to think more about the story behind <laughs> the production, not just trying to try to put a label on it and say here here is how it's produced. So I think this is a good thing, actually. And I think especially in fresh produce, the conversations we're having at the consumer level. And the opportunity to talk about technology innovation with consumers has never been, the opportunity has never been greater because people are interested. People do want to know. And it's just fundamentally different than it was 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. uh, I was talking to um, Katie at Bowery Farms and uh, on the interview with her, and she was talking about climavores, which was a term I hadn't heard before, but it's what, you know, the the people that um, are buying food based on what the impact on the planet. And so it's a, it's a whole different group of people that has different concerns, maybe different than organic, maybe, you know, just different concerns. And so they're buying differently. So, um, so how, uh, in, okay, we're going to (laughs) pause. I lost my question. Okay. Um, in my conversation with Walmart, um, they said that the most important things to consumers are price quality, food safety, and locally grown. So thinking about what we do with technology and what we've done with technology and what's possible with technology, how, uh, how do we give them that? How do we give Walmart's customers what they need in those different categories from a technology point of view? Yeah, and I like the way you framed it up because I think too often uh, sometimes technology or new innovations are, are, are portrayed almost as the antithesis of what we need to deliver the consumers the experience you're looking for from food versus the enabler. And I'm a technology guy, as you know, honey. for me, I think it is the enabler. I mean, I think if you look at those elements um, and, and you know, who would know better than Walmart <laughs> or consumer and what they're really looking for, um, but you think about price, right? I mean, that's the drive. It doesn't matter what you're growing as a farmer, yield matters. <laughs> You've got to be able to produce the economic, any, any definition of sustainability has to has to include the economic sustainability of the grower, and so that gets down to uh, what price can you deliver that, and what you know what does it cost you to produce it. The basic equation is what is your input cost, and then what's the output you get from that at the producer level, and that's how you help control uh, the price that it costs you to, to to produce that that crop. Um, you know, you, you think about uh, you think about quality. One of the cool things, and I've been in the produce side of business for 12, 13 years now, um, you cannot just focus on the agronomics. You can't just focus what's happening on the farm. Somebody's got to walk into a grocery store and say, I want that tomato, I want that pepper, or a chef has to say, I want to serve that. And so you cannot ignore the quality piece. In fact, you have to, as a technology company, you have to think about both ends of the equation. What do we do to produce that crop economically? How do we improve yields, agronomics, et cetera? But what are the the, the sensory characteristics, what is it that's going to be appealing about that at the consumer level? So from the technology perspective, you're constantly looking at genetics that perform well as far as the economics for the grower, but are also are providing the kind of sensory and quality experience the consumer's looking for. 
Um, from the digital crop management tools, the same thing is lots of ways now to think about how you actually can influence those quality characteristics by how you grow the crops. So it's the same deal. You're going to be able to apply it to how do you grow that most economically efficiently, but also how do you provide the kind of quality that the consumer is, 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 is looking for? Um, so for me, I think you know, local is another great example. If you don't have varieties that can actually be grown in that local environment, if you don't have the genetics that support that production in the local environment, you're never going to have local production. So I think what's cool is, is we're having opportunities now to talk about how technology innovation actually does enable what the consumer is looking for. And that's a good thing for all of us to have real upfront conversations about technology and about how, no, if this is what you're looking for, technology can help provide that. Innovations can help provide the kind of experience you're looking at the consumer level. Yeah, I definitely, I love that, that um, technology and innovation are the enablers of the consumer experience. I think that's a, a really great point because um, they don't know that. I mean, most consumers don't know that. <laughs> they don't know all the the breeding that went into that. And it, it, uh, one of the conversations I was having with um, Russ Hamlin at Grimway, and he was talking about growing organically and some of the challenges around um, plant nutrition um, and fertilizer. And he said, you know, no one's going to buy a yellow spinach. You know, no one wants yellow baby spinach. I don't care how it was grown. Like no one's going to buy that. And so really trying to, to weave all this together and then also making, um, making Walmart happy. As we all know, Walmart needs to be happy. So one of the things that they said that was most important to them, which of course makes sense given how big they are and how many stores they have is security of supply. And I think that's been, you know, I've talked to a number of people who have gone to Walmart with a new product and said, you know, I, I put up this greenhouse and I'm growing, you know, I actually did this myself. I was uh, working with a group of people. We were trying to grow off-season strawberries in a greenhouse in New Mexico. And we went to Walmart and said, you know, can we sell you these? And they said, you think I'm going to bump another customer so that I can get something for you for two months? No, you know. So, um, so how do you think technology helps in that area of security of supply? Yeah, and it's funny. I think uh, I've never heard so much discussion about supply chains in the last two, two uh, years. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think all of us as consumers, even if you're not in, in the food and ag business, realize supply chain is a major issue when, when we've seen what we've seen over the last two plus years. So, I, you know, I think, and Walmart, of course, any any retailer, but especially uh, retail on the size of Walmart, supply chain is king. I mean, you have to have uh, that security of it. And the way I think about it is what can technology do to de-risk your supply chain? You know, to take, because there's enough risk just inherent in any supply chain, especially when you're talking about fresh, where you you literally are trying to get it from point A to point B in a timely way and deliver it to the consumer while it's still fresh. It tastes great and all that. So um, when I think about what can technology do, you know, part of it is um, if you think about the challenges or the risks that are presented to a supply chain, let's just talk even about open field production or out, out, you know, production outdoors. You've got Biotic stresses, the pest disease center. You've got abiotic stresses, uh, you know, on, on whether you know whether it be temperature, water, etc. So, first of all, when you think about the genetics that you're going to provide, you want to provide the kinds of resistances that prevent loss in the field, right? It's kind of a basic equation on it. Even as you get into greenhouse, etc., there's still pressures you need to address there. Um, the second is, you know, on the abiotic stresses, if you can build in genetics that give you uh, the ability to weather some of, pardon the pun, weather some of the extremes of, of temperature, of water, et cetera, so that you have more resilient genetics that, that allow you to, 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 to address that. Um, so I think on, on those, 
there are genetic solutions and frankly, digital crop solutions, the way we're managing crops now to better predict when we're going to have challenges, to think about probes and, and drones and things that monitor your crops, you know, and how do you monitor your, your water supply, for example, to make sure you can, you can weather the, you know, the, the extremes, et cetera. Um, so I think you combine that genetic package with the digital crop management tools that are there, you're addressing some of the biggest infield losses around biotic and abiotic stresses. But I think the other trend that's happening, especially in the fresh produce world, this has been going on for a decade plus, is the move toward more protected culture. And this is really critical. I mean, it could be as simple as a net house to keep insects out, but then you go to greenhouses or high-tech glass houses where you're controlling more of the environment. And now uh, with vertical farms completely indoor, the market we're trying to serve, um, what you're trying to do there, you know, there's a basic equation that we all talk about in breeding, G by E by M, genotype by environment by management. Um, you know, in the case of open field, you're trying to just have genetics that can that can basically uh, survive in different environments, and you use management tools to try to help them. But as you go into protected culture, the more you can use M, the management, to control the E, the environment, then you're allowing the genetics to really thrive, and you can really focus your genetics on that year-round quality. Um, so I think that's the other big technology play is, is let's think about how and where we produce these crops. And if you can use protected culture to control more of the environment, then you're automatically going to reduce some of the pressure on the supply chain because you're not going to have as many losses. So I do think those are all kinds of ways to, to do that with the ultimate manifestation on the, on the protected culture is vertical farming, you know, completely indoor where you really are doing a pretty robust job of controlling all the environmental factors through M, through management, uh, because of the way you do it. So I think, you know, combining the, the tools of genetics, digital crop management to, web, you know, to make sure you're, 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 you're dealing with the stresses the crops face, uh, but then actually the move toward indoor agriculture or toward protected culture, whether it be greenhouse, glasshouse, or, or uh, vertical farms, is a way to, 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 to de-risk your supply chain. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And in talking to Walmart and, and other large retailers is that they are just looking for like risk mitigation. And so if they have a vertical farm, um, which I know is in the plans, close to distribution centers, um, then even if it's not growing close to a city, if it's growing close to a distribution center of one of these large retailers, then you can have it on a truck and have it in the grocery store, you know, in within 24, 72 hours. And so that just makes a huge difference. And so if you do have some kind of a outdoor issue, um, some kind of disaster from climate, you know, you still are going to be risk mitigating that you're going to get leafy greens in this case, you know, to your store. Do you think, um, as far as climate change and some of the other issues, do you think it's um, getting harder and um, looking at how we mitigate those risks outside? Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> hopefully we're overcoming these conversations about is it real? It, anybody that's in food bag tells you it's real. I mean, you, you can't you can't avoid it, and you're seeing pests where you've never seen them before. And, and on the on the climactic side, it's really the extremes. You know, it's either the wettest or it's the driest or it's the hottest or it's the coldest. I mean, and it's just those extremes, right? Right? It, 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 it's the extremes that, that really get you, right? And so I do think um, uh, we're seeing it in pest pressures, disease pressures in places where you wouldn't have it. You're seeing where you used to have wintering, which would really help you knock out some of those things because it's warmer and you're not knocking them down. Um, and like I say, the extremes on the on the climactic piece is huge as far as water, temperature, et cetera, which again leads you to what can you do to help control the environment through protective culture and other means to do it? Because 
it's not going to go away in anytime soon. And, you know, as much as efforts are going on to try to reduce pressures and a lot of happening in ag too, because ag has an input on it, has an impact on it too. And so, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of great efforts trying to mitigate uh, how, 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 how quickly the, the, the trends are accelerating, uh, but it's decades. It's not, it's not an overnight success. So we got to do everything we can with other technologies to help, to help mitigate it. Yeah, no, I think that makes complete sense. Let's talk a little bit about communicating with consumers, um, which hasn't, you know, it's not necessarily our job, but we're involved in this whole food supply chain. And now that consumers want to know more, um, how do you see that consumers are getting their information down the chain from what we're doing in crop inputs and breeding um, and growing methods? Um, how's that information getting moved back and forth and, and what needs to happen there? Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one because in some ways, um, the more we can kind of expose the general public to what's happening on a farm, the better off we are. The good news is with social media, it is a lot easier. I mean, there's a lot more stuff out there for people to see, good and bad. But the uh, right, uh, some I, of it's not true, no, so we have to battle that too. Yeah, <laughs> but I, but I do think at least at least there's a there's a window to, to provide to provide information, right? So so that's good. Um, I do think the retail sector has been interesting, and I lived in the UK for a few years. I think they were ahead of the game, frankly. You know, you know, you know well, Bonnie, the the UK food retailers are pretty sophisticated, and, and they're uh, they've always been looking at how do they tell their story of their food. I think even earlier than a lot of US retailers, frankly. But I think, and they went all the way back through the entire chain, you know, back to who are their suppliers? You know, what are those far? What are their farmers doing? And then, of course, their farmers would look to us as a technology company and say, "Okay, tell us about the inputs." But it, it's it's really a much more uh, comprehensive approach to go all the way back to the initial inputs and then all the way out to what's delivered to the consumer, and and getting that story told about here's all the sustainability practices. And I think we need to do better, frankly. But I think we also need to figure out who's best to tell that story. So I think one of the aspects of how do we improve is let's think about the messengers. Um, you know, retailers are great. They have all the, they have all the comfort, they have all the uh, connections with consumers. They're constantly, you know, polling and talking and there's conversations going on with their, with their consumers. They need information from us. We need to be engaged in that process, but there's other folks. I mean, we did an effort when I was back at, back at, at Bear where we brought in chefs and food bloggers into our field days. You know, this is a field day about seeds and other technologies. And these chefs and food bloggers were totally on, totally into it. I mean, they're asking great questions. And, you know, I'd put out stuff on LinkedIn. If I got five or 10,000 people looking, I'd say, this is great. These people write one piece and it's hundreds of thousands of, you know, responses to it. They're connected, right? And they're trusted. And so I, I think, you know, we, we need to think through getting the kinds of exposure to people that really have an impact from a communication standpoint. And yeah, the retailers have a role, technology providers have a role, producers have a role, but I do think, you know, the bloggers, the chefs, the people that are really have incredible audiences, if we can have real conversations with them about innovation, about how we're delivering the kinds of food that they're looking for, that's a huge win for us. So, so I, I, I think, think, I think the other piece we need to do is rather than, Thinking so much about um, you know the what of it uh, or the the you know, how it was done or whatever, if we think about what are the values on which we're trying to connect, you know, let's talk about if, if you talk about sustainability. Well, yeah, pretty much every grower and some of your guests talked a great deal about soil health, for example, or IP, you know, integrated pest management. Every grower has a story about those. So let's connect on the value system. You think about local. It's important for people. Well, yeah, here's how technology can help provide local. So 
I think if you start, instead of starting with here's the technology we have, you start with sort of the values that we're trying to uh, relate to uh, with, with the consumer. Um, we, what we're going to find is there's a lot of shared values. And, uh, you know, and I will say I've been very fortunate to be invited to some of these chef conferences after some of the chefs we hosted. So I'll give a talk, which is great. But then you get treated to these amazing meals. But some people say, well, you get paid to do this, right? But, it may, but, but, it's, but, it's, but it's amazing, though, the level of conversation, the level of interest with those kinds. of They really do want to know much more about what happens on a farm or what happens on a ranch. And I think we all need to step up and take advantage of those opportunities because in some ways they can live in pretty much a bubble. <laughs> and so trying to get them down to here's what really the challenges a rancher or farmer faces and talk about really what happens on a farm is good for them and, and good for us. Yeah, I think in food service, it's kind of interesting. I, I hadn't done much work in food service before I started working um, for the International Fresh Produce Association, but just you have a lot more room on a menu to kind of talk about how something was grown than you do on a label in a grocery store when someone's trying to get something for dinner and get home. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity to tell some of those stories through food service, and especially, you know, in some of the nicer restaurants to kind of educate people a little bit about what's going on. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, I think there's a welcome, there's a receptive audience. They, they, they really do have a lot of intrinsic interest in, in what happens on a farm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've been working um, in the last year, well, longer than that, but recently with IFPA and just looking at gene editing and how do we communicate and how do we talk about it and, and how do we talk about it to consumers? And, you know, I know Bayer and a lot of other companies have done many consumer um, surveys and just trying to understand. And, and I think, you know, um, there was a, a podcast that came out recently with Tom Adams from Pairwise on 1A. And so he was, it was a, it was a consumer, you know, it wasn't for the industry. It was a consumer type podcast. And, and what was interesting in the way that he was talking about genetic was it's always, it's always non-apologetic for the technology, but, but here, listen to the benefits, you know, here's all the benefits. Here's what we can do with this technology that makes food more nutritious, more convenient, more tasty, you know, um, less food waste. And so let's just focus on the benefits. And I think with some of these technologies, it's kind of finding our, impossible foods moment, you know, where it's like, we don't care about the technology. We just love what you're delivering. And so I, I think, you know, as, as consumers become more open to technology and as we deliver as an industry benefits that are important to them, I, I think it's going to get easier. I don't know. What do you think? No, I agree. I agree. And I think that, that that's the point I was trying to make around shared values. Well, once you start talking about what's important to you about your food and then talk about, Oh, well, yeah, here's, here's why we're doing this. Here's why this technology can help help provide you what you're looking for. But once you have that connection on the value side, it's just a heck of a lot easier conversation. Yeah. And I think, you know, as Katie was talking about with these uh, climavores, I think that's a, a different type, slightly younger, um, a different type of person that that is open to hearing about technology, but like really cares about how this is grown and how were the workers taken care of and, you know, looking at equitable charters and like, how are we taking care of people and, and how are we taking care of the planet? And I think when you start looking at those shared values, like you said, then you start getting more um, alignment and, and looking at ways to do that it is less important than the, than the outcome. Well, no, I think Katie made a great point too. And then it's not so much about 
here's the technology piece because you know people look at a, a, a modern vertical farm i think you even asked her about this is that really their vision of how, how you where you want your produce to come from right yeah but when you start about well here's here's what we do from a water perspective here's what we do from a productivity perspective you're you're already connecting then and it's almost uh, you know absent of the conversation about here's the technology piece, just much more about here's what we're doing to help address what you're looking for in your food supply right and that's a different kind of conversation and it kind of allows you to to get the innovation out there because you have a shared value. Well, let's pivot a little bit and talk about some of these growing methods, acknowledging that neither of us are producers. Um, so uh, we're just talking about what, what people are doing out there and, and what it looks like. So on regenerative, uh, a topic that, that keeps popping up and, and everyone's trying to figure out what is it and what is it doing? Um, what's your view on kind of this regenerative movement and what are you seeing and, you know, how is this kind of helping the, the overall business? Well, I think the, you know, and the challenge I think with regenerative in particular is there's a lot of definitions and there's a lot of kind of, what does it actually mean? But again, if you get it, if you start boiling it down to kind of the core elements, right? You think about soil health, you think about impact on climate and all that. Those are all things, and it doesn't matter whether you're regenerative, organic, conventional, Farmers are thinking about this. I mean, they, they really are thinking about how do I address these needs in a way that's most sustainable, right? And so I think uh, the good news is that these kinds of uh, uh, conversations about specific um, production systems is generating conversations more about what does it mean at its core. And uh, you know, I thought Russ did a great job talking about soil health. Well, yeah, they're doing a great job on, on soil health, but a lot of farmers are using different kind of technologies, but still. The focus is on how do we have as healthy a soil as possible, whether it be organic, whether it be conventional, whether it be you know, no-till, all the kinds of things people are doing to, to drive soil health. Um, that's a positive, right? Because I think whether it be regenerative or organic or any of these, if you boil it down to its core about what you're trying to deliver, more than the label, it's more important to talk about here's what we can do on the farm to address the qualities that you want to bring about through these different technologies and through these different production systems. And that's a, that's a positive. And it is what everyone, I mean, obviously producers want healthy soils because for one reason they'll grow better crop and they'll make more money and that, you know, so it's like, it all kind of fits together. People aren't going to, there, no one says I want unhealthy soil, you know? Right. No, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. Exactly. But I think is in talking to Shelby Lane at, at Bolt House and, and one of the things that she said is when they first were at, at Bolt House, they, they really are focusing on regenerative and they have, um, I think it was 320 acres they've set aside that they're going to do all these different practices and just, just try to get, you know, a lot around regenerative, like you said, there's all these definitions and there's not data and no one really knows what we're talking about. And so I think Bolt House is kind of putting a stake in the ground along with the carrot <laughs> of saying like, what are we trying to measure and what does this mean? And what does this mean to us? And, and what are we delivering? And so she said they went out and talked to a lot of their producers and just talked to them about, you know, how would you like to grow and what makes sense and, and what's, what do you see as the best? And it was mostly around soil first farming and, and looking at those different technologies. And so I think it um, it's, it's another way of just thinking about how do we grow in a healthy way and they might be slightly different, but you know, it, it is looking at that whole big area. And I think one of the, 
one of the things that's just going to be hard is is being able to describe what that is and and measure it and make sure it doesn't end up being greenwashing so that people say oh I have regenerative practices and and then they really don't do anything different. So, so I don't know. I think that one's, it'll be interesting to watch. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, well, now that this may change since the investment and everything is getting a little harder, but a lot of investment dollars are starting to, you know, kind of flow into um, looking at soil carbon and looking at regenerative. And, and so there's, there's a little um, uh, worry about it being overhyped, but I, I think there, there's a there there that doesn't have to be either or from organic yeah yeah i agree i agree and like i say if you if you start to boil these things down to their basic principles then what you're going to find is there's producers that may be conventional that may be organic or just, that are basically going to aspiring for the same things they're just using different methods to get there and like i say it's good because there's a lot more focus around that and and people want to get to a point of sustainability that's that's measurable and also is is, is you know relatable to to the consumer Let's talk a little bit about organic. So this was a, an interesting one for me. I actually came into this whole conversation with a bit of an edge about organic because I felt like um, I, I, I felt like that we weren't getting as there was places where we weren't getting as high of yield, and so we were actually using more resources for less product. And so I had read some, some statistic that then when I tried to like follow it down, I couldn't follow it down. That said that there's like 26% less yield, um, in organic farming. And so that, that kind of upset me and it's like, okay, this really isn't the way we should be growing. We shouldn't be decreasing our yield. So, um, so I had, and, and I felt like do consumers really know that that's what's happening if they're buying organic and they're, but they're actually using a lot more water and inputs to do that. That's not good. So that was kind of my, my beginning thesis, um, or hypothesis, I would say. And so, um, what's been really interesting about these conversations, it was so great talking to Russ and he's like, no, we actually, Actually, you know, we go through the transition period and yeah, that's a little rough because you can't really use much and the soil isn't really healthy yet. But then he was saying like, after you've gone through that three-year transition and the soil actually starts building up, we have higher yield. And so that was really an aha moment for me and, and really kind of opened my mind of thinking like, okay, this is, maybe there's places where that's true. And I know there's been some issues in, in um, some different countries of people trying to switch to organic, but they weren't using quite the right methods. And so the yields did go down. So, um, so I think that it's just a really interesting topic, you know, of what, uh, looking back and thinking about, okay, organic really started when people kind of put a stake in the ground and said, we're using too many chemicals. Like we're just using too many chemicals. So we need to do something else. And so the organic movement kind of started then where they're saying, okay, we need to stop using so many chemicals. And I think now we kind of have, and we have pheromones and we have, you know, synthetically produced products that aren't as harsh as the chemicals. And we have really precision way of putting chemicals on. And so we've gotten a lot better and using less chemicals, um, so I don't know, that's just a lot of thoughts swirling in my head, but I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what you see in technology and around organic. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I think Russ did a great job, frankly, talking about all the, all the, all the great progress they've made there um, in the care production. Um, but I think the, the challenge you all have on this is people want kind of absolutes. You know, they want to know this, this one's good, this one's bad, this one's right, this one's wrong. It ain't the way it works. <laughs> you know, there are incredibly uh, productive and, and, and efficient organic production. And there's organic production for certain crops, certain geographies that just don't measure up 
to conventional. I mean, let's be honest with it, right? And I think the, the challenge we have in this is uh, many times consumers will ascribe certain characteristics to a production system and they want it to apply to every use of that production system. The organic means this, right? And you know, even even the pesticide-free, you'll hear oftentimes people say, oh, I, I want to buy organic because I know I have to use pesticides. Well, have you ever gone to the USDA website and seen all the pesticides that are used in organic agriculture? You know, pest control is something you have to, whether you're growing or not. Now, they don't use synthetic pesticides, but sure, they use pesticides. And they'll be the first to tell you that. So I think the challenge we have is, People like labels and because if that label equals this, 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 then I'm doing the right thing. When it isn't that simple. <laughs> the, the fact is, um, it's just a much more nuanced conversation about what is the real impact of this. And it's not going to be organic equals this, frankly. It's not going to be conventional equals this, frankly, or, or biotechnology equals this or indoor equals this. It's let's look at the crop. Let's look at the, you know, what you're trying to accomplish from a sustainability standpoint, from a quality standpoint. And let's have a conversation about where and how that food was produced without getting so hung up on the labels. Because I do think, and the, but the challenge we have is how do you have that conversation with billions of consumers with you know, literally millions of farms? So you can't, it's, it's just a very challenge, big challenge for us is people like that kind of easy code <laughs> that tells them I'm doing the right thing because they want food produced the way they want it. So it's just a much more nuanced conversation. Uh, and, and the fact is what people are going to find is there's great examples of very sustainable operations that are conventional, great operations that are sustainable, that are organic, that are regenerative, et cetera. But you can't rely on that label. What that label tells you is this is the tool that was employed. It doesn't necessarily tell you that that translates into all of these impacts down the road. It may or may not, but it does tell you at least here's the production system that was employed. If organic, it's you know very structured, uh, you know, and other things are labeled as well on, on how you know, what's how that crop was grown. Um, but it's not the end all. <laughs> but that's the challenge we have. People want a simple answer, and it isn't simple. Sorry, <laughs> not to cloud you. Not to cloud your thinking, Bonnie. But that's that's the that's the honest truth, right? It's a, yeah, no, it's so complicated. And I think, you know, a lot of people will talk about regenerative and say, well, we're looking at regenerative and it's more outcomes focused, not prescription focused. And, but I think, I mean, organic, you gotta love the origin of or, the organic movement and, and what it's done. It's, it's been incredibly successful. Um, but you think about I, what, what Russ talked about, right? I and mean, what he talked about, soil health, IP, I'm an old, I'm an insect guy. IPM has been a, a hallmark of every kind of production system. The more tools and the same thing with weed management, you know, the more tools you can bring in and the digital world has been great because that's allowed us to really optimize those tools. You talked about some of the precision sprays that are happening now, the, you know, the higher, uh, you know, the higher efficiencies we have and higher specificity we have on things. Um, it's a different world than it was 30 or 40 years ago, which is great, but it, it gets down to the principles is, you know, my dad was a carpenter. He always said, don't leave for a job unless you have all the tools in the toolbox. And that's what IPM is, right? It literally is use all the tools at your disposal to, 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 to have an integrated approach to controlling pests, for example. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the, uh, um, the good news is people are focusing on this no matter what production system they, they're choosing to employ. They're thinking about soil, they're thinking about pests, they're thinking about climatic conditions and how do I better manage my crop. So let's move to um, CEA or uh, protected agriculture or indoor farming or whatever slice you want to take. And you, you've spent um, 
more time in this in, in the last uh, year or so. So what do you think um, are the benefits and, and how is this fitting into our food? Yeah, I think I'm two years now, actually. So it's been fun. I started. Actually, oh, two I was, years. Yeah, actually, when I was back with uh, the bear. We were looking at this as a potential market for us and we chose to launch a new company and I was named CEO, thankfully. But uh, it's been a wild ride. But the, uh, um, for, for me, I think it, it's a great example of let's continue to push on the technology side uh, on something that's been happening for years anyway. I mentioned earlier that spectrum of protected culture, you know, all the way from easy kind of uh, straightforward net houses to greenhouse to high tech glass house and now and now vertical or indoor farms um but it really is a spectrum of, of how do you use the controlling of the environment to reduce your risk on producing a crop um, and i think indoors got some great opportunities for certain crops because i think uh for those crops that that are you know where you want to really take risk out of your supply chain where you want to provide a high quality product at the consumer level 365 days a year back to walmart's you know comment around around the supply chain um vertical does a lot for you because you'll be able to reduce the risk in your supply chain because you're controlling the environment you're also producing if not locally to consumer locally as you pointed out the distribution centers or fulfillment center if you're a you know if you're a if you're a, a e-retailer right so um there's ways to de-risk your supply chain using uh, using vertical farms, you're not gonna you're not gonna be replacing Salinas Valley. That's not you know you're not gonna replace all the greenhouses in in, in the Netherlands or in Canada, et cetera. But but you are gonna provide another venue to produce uh, food and for certain crops. Right now, it's leafies, and we're a big player trying to do the same for fruiting crops in in vertical farms. I think it's a good thing because I think anytime you have another production system that takes risk out of your supply chain and provides an opportunity to provide that kind of quality every day of the year. That's a good thing for consumers. Yeah, I think so too. I think one of the things that I have people ask me all the time, like where, where do you think this industry is going to go as far as vertical farming? And, and I think it is, like you said, it's, it's another means of production. And so I think, um, possibly as we move forward, there's not going to be this bright line between indoor farmers and outdoor farmers, you know, I think people are going to be farmers and they're going to, you know, you look at people like Taylor Farms that are already saying, I need to mitigate my, my risk. I need to be involved in this. And so I think we're going to start seeing that, that it's people have different ways to produce as producers and they're going to want to reduce their risks. And I think in California, as we have more issues with water, you know, you might want to have an indoor farm just to make sure that you're going to be able to produce your crops. So I think that bright line, besides the, the highly funded top five or 10 indoor farms, you know, I think as we move forward, it might just be, this is the way we produce food. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think it's, it's been healthy too. I went to my first indoor ag conference probably five, six years ago, and I was one of the few people that actually came in from, I guess, on the seed side, but still the produce side of the seed, right? Uh, um, one of the few people there that came from that. And having you at, at, at the indoor ag conference, that's great because you, you, it should be seen as part of the produce sector. It started as a major tech. Yeah, exactly. Right? And now yeah. it's evolving into, no, it's another, it's another way to produce. And you're starting to see more traditional uh food and, and ag and produce players now participating in indoor, seeing it as it can be part of their supply chain, seeing as, you know, we are going to be a supplier to those, to those, to those producers. And that's good because it, it shouldn't be this tech play over here. It really should be seen as a, as another viable 
production system. So I agree with you. Yeah, there's been a lot of hype with that, with that which drives me crazy. You know me, Noel Levani. It's like, oh, come on, stop it. You got a great story to tell. You don't need to talk about the crowd. You know, this wild things of what we can do with this. There's a great story to tell what indoor can do. But I think it's healthy, actually, to see it much more through the lens of produce versus this kind of tech play on these incredibly modern farms that are out there. On the other hand, the whole tech play part of it has brought such great talent into the field. So I'm really thankful for that. Like we've gotten people involved and interested in growing food that we never would have been able to pull in, you know, without the tech piece of it. And I think a lot of the technology and the understanding is going to flow into outside. And so I think the learning, you know, the technical learning that we get is going to be really positive as well. No, I had my, my daughter's in ag communications in DC, but she said, when I, when I took the job at Unfold, she goes, dad, you're finally cool. <laughs> it took a really long time, Dad. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh. There's a couple of points that I wanted to to make just in in my summary of of this whole season, and and one was just the conversation around scale. And I think an, an awful lot of people. Um, don't realize the scale that it takes to grow food or this, the scale that it takes, you know, if you're a Walmart, kind of what it takes to bring that food and have that food on the shelf in a healthy way. And so a lot, you know, uh, when I think Grimway is a good example, like they grow a lot of carrots, you know? And so just to be able, people have this idea that scale and corporate farms are bad and scale is where you can really make the biggest impact and, and both the growing side. And then also in retailers, you know, there's been a lot of people, a lot of rumbling about, um, you know, Walmart wanting all of their suppliers to have a IPM program in place um, by 2025. But, they're big and they can demand it and they can force change that way. And growers like Grimway are um, that have a lot of acres can really try these different things and they have money to try different things. So I think the scale of agriculture is an important thing for, for people to think about and realize is important. What do you think about that? Oh, I totally agree. And I think it's, it's another one kind of miss <laughs> busting the myth again, because people think it's got to be small. It's got to be local to be sustainable. When the, the, you know, the fact of the matter is at certain scales, you can make investments that you couldn't otherwise. And there's a big producer in, in the UK, for example, uh, uh, broccoli and leafies and others. They've invested in, in aerobic digestion plants where they harvest their crop for the, for the retail market. And then they come back and harvest all the rest of the biomass to drive their anaerobic digestion plant, which then provides all the electricity for their operation. And so if you didn't have the acres, the hectares they have, you would never be able to make that investment, right? And so sometimes people don't appreciate scale and Boltas and Greenway have great sustainability programs that they're able to do because of the scale at which they grow it. Otherwise, it'd be tough to be able to do it economically uh, uh, from an economic perspective. So sometimes people don't appreciate, I think, Scale does enable a lot of sustainability things just because you can make investments that you wouldn't be able to make unless you had a certain scale. The other point um, that I heard a lot during this season was just talking about collaboration up and down the, the supply chain, which I think as we started this conversation about, you know, in the early days, nobody thought about the consumer or the retailer. It's just like, how do you grow it? And so I, I hear, especially when we're talking about things um, like ESG and any kind of sustainability problems or programs, 
you really have to, it, it has to go all the way through the chain. And so really hearing um, everyone wanting to collaborate with each other. And I think some of the, the digitization that's happening is making that more possible than it was before, you know, because we actually can, the information can go with the crop. But um, I, I really loved hearing that. And I really loved hearing that from all different sectors of like, we really, you know, we as seed breeders need to know what the consumer wants because we need to breed for that. And, you know, we as producers need to know what the retailer and the consumer wants and what the crop uh, input technologists can do for us. And just that whole chain seems to be working better and really allowing us to grow more sustainably. Oh, I agree. And I think the other, from a collaboration standpoint, the, the other dynamic, and you touched on this, you talk about just the infusion of talent that's coming in. Um, no question, I think the, communi- the, the, the level of communication, the, the kinds of conversations we're having across everything from the first basic ingredient of seed all the way out to the consumer, it's, it's awesome, especially in the produce side of business. But the other piece of collaboration that I think is really cool, and you use the term digitization, which I really like, is the digitization of how we produce food. And I, I always frame it up as Silicon Valley meets Salinas Valley, but it's real. I mean, we have as many software engineers as we do geneticists. I mean, and you have never thought that of a seed company, right? But that's the reality of it, that, that this whole ability to mine data, to really leverage how we measure things in production, how we can uh, how we can actually uh, monitor the crop, how we can influence the environment to, to optimize the performance of that. That's digitization. And that's a really cool thing to have that kind of talent coming in. And then you throw in there the robotics, the engineering pieces. You know, you know we developed some varieties that are for machine harvest when I was back with Monsanto. That wouldn't have worked if we didn't have the engineering piece to say, here's a harvester that actually does it. We didn't have a grower who said, yeah, this would actually work on my farm. So the kind of technology collaborations that are happening now, Ronnie, it's awesome. I mean, there's just a lot of really smart people coming from very diverse backgrounds. And to me, that's when you get the best solutions when you're not just, you know, kind of that ag focused myopic vision of you're bringing a lot of talented people with different kinds of ways to approach problems. And that's when you get the best solutions. With a lot of passion. I mean, a lot yeah, of people that are great? coming in, a lot of the young people, when you, especially you go to some of the vertical farms and you talk to the young people and they have so much passion about what they're doing and it's fabulous. Well, we, we, in front of, we, we've asked our new employees to write blogs. One, one of our employees came over from, from Facebook, great company, obviously Facebook, but software engineer. But he wrote about what attracted him to be wanting to use his skills, but now use them to help the world grow food better. And that's, it was a great piece he wrote. Now, he's an incredibly talented guy, right? And he can work anywhere, right? He's, he's like a Valley software engineer. He chose to go into food and ag because of what's happening from the digitization. That's a great thing for us. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. We need people like that coming in and saying, you know, yeah, I want to work and I want to use my, my, you know, my, my competencies to really help drive producing food a better way, which is great for all of us. So I have two summary questions for you. Um, what has surprised you over your career as regards to technology solutions in the food system? I, I think, um, I think it's probably the, 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 the biggest thing is, is how quickly um, it's evolved from kind of the classic, what I call ag or agronomic disciplines into a much broader field of play as far as how can we 
improve our food system. What I mean by that is it used to be when you came, when I came in, coming out of an ag school 35 years ago, right? You were either a weed person or a soil person or an insect, you know. I was a disease like person. <laughs> or a disease, right? Disease person, right? Or a, gene, or a, gene, or a breeder. Yeah. You had certain that, and that was called diversity, right? I think, and we just touched on this, but what's really surprised me now is just in the last 10, 15 years, how quickly all these other disciplines are not just being applied, they're actually driving the change we need. I mean, I think about what a, a, the inside of a tractor looks like now versus <laughs> 20 years ago. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it, it's not your grandfather or grandmother's tractor. That's for darn sure. I mean, it's, you know, you've got pads plugged in, you've got inputs coming in, you've got probes, you've got drones, you've got, um, but that's really cool. I mean, to me, it's really cool just how quickly this is accelerated from kind of the traditional biology, chemistry, soil, you know, all the kind of traditional disciplines that used to be thought of as a multidisciplinary team to now a much broader field of play with incredible talent coming in. But that's a good thing for all of us. I mean, everything's been digitized. Our whole lives have been digitized. But boy, food and ag is really taking a hold of this. And the other thing that surprised me is the level of investment. I mean, I was talking to some folks in the investment world and they said, well, food is important. I say, I get it. But just, you know, for all of us been around for a while to see some of the plays that are out there as far as capital flowing into this, it's great because that'll, no question, innovation, money helps. And so it definitely is, is driving it. So to me, it's the, the rate of infusion of these new technologies. And secondly, just the capital flow that's gone into this to really change the way we're thinking about new tools and new innovations for our food and ag. Great. So this may be the same answer, but um, given kind of the times that we live in, um, what gives you hope about our industry? Um, and I, and I've always said this about, about food and agriculture. And we, you talked about collaborations and partnerships. It's, it's more than that, though. And it's funny, when my daughter wanted to go into it, I said, one of the things I want you to appreciate is food and ag loves to solve big problems. <laughs> you know, we, we don't shy away from thinking about some fundamental issues facing the world. And how do we all come together? Even though we might be using different technologies, we might be involved in different sectors within food and agriculture, that spirit of we can, follow, we can solve this, we can bring the right people together, and we're all going to focus on the big stuff and thinking about how do we solve them. And I know we all get into our little turf battles and all this stuff, but I do find a lot of, of comfort and hope whenever I'm at conferences and meetings and just the, our collaboration I have every day with different partners, just that shared spirit that this is important stuff, you know, producing food for a population that's growing for you know, the climactic challenges that are out there. And I don't think there is any more existential threat than climate change on food, frankly. And so I do think you're seeing a rallying point and I do think food and ag does a great job of, and you saw that through, through COVID actually, you know, you and the IFPA did a great job keeping everybody engaged on how do we get food out and produce out to people at a monumental effort and farms kept running, you know, even with the height of this thing, we had folks out on farms harvesting and, you know, and getting food in there. And so I think when challenges are greatest, I think food and ag really does respond in a very positive way because they can kind of, put aside any differences they might have and say, there's some big issues we got to solve. And we're at the crux of so many challenges the world's facing and let's rally and do it. That's what gives me hope. Excellent. 
Well, we've talked a long time today and I could continue talking to you, but I just want to end by thanking you for your service to this industry. And you've just done so much throughout the years of being an advocate. And uh, I've learned a lot from you and um, thanks a lot. And I will see you again soon. Back at you, Bonnie. Always great talking with you. The International Fresh Produce Association is bringing new technology to solve industry's big challenges through the new Fresh Field Catalyst Accelerator. The six-month immersive program works with technology companies outside of produce and floral to experience the challenges in our industry and develop innovative solutions for a healthier world. Applications are due April 4th. Find out more at freshproduce.com. You've been listening to Fresh Takes on Tech, a podcast from the International Fresh Produce Association. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep delivering the latest on produce technology. Thank you for listening. Until next time.